0: This is James Raines, and you're listening to Isolated but not alone, a podcast that seeks to bring mental health awareness to rural and isolated communities. I just want to let everybody know that this and other content produced by myself, James Raigs, is not therapy and is not intended to be therapy or replacement for therapy. Nothing that I say or do in this podcast seeks to develop or replace a therapeutic relationship. So if you feel like you are struggling or you've been triggered by something that you've heard on this podcast, my recommendation is you consult with your therapist or one in your area if you are experiencing any mental health symptoms. Nothing should be construed as specific life advice. It is only for educational purposes. So I'd like to start by welcoming all the listeners to Isolated But Not Alone. My name is James Raines, and I will be your host. A little bit about me, I'm an avid storyteller, lecturer, and published author. For nearly two decades, I've been writing and telling stories that captivate audiences of all ages and lecturing on a variety of topics, including law enforcement, science, education, business, addiction, and mental health. I have a love of knowledge, and I hold a bachelor's degree in religion, a master's degree in education, a master's degree in psychotherapy, and a doctoral-level degree in education. Currently, my master's degree in psychotherapy focuses on marriage and family therapy, addictions, and I have special interest in sexual addiction and trauma. In my free time, I enjoy reading writing, doing nerdy stuff like collecting retro video games, treasure hunting, traveling, and hanging with my family and my dog. And I started this podcast to really promote mental health awareness in rural communities. So just to give you some statistics or some facts from the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, approximately 7.3 million non-metropolitan adults Report having a mental illness in 2019. And I can guarantee you those numbers have increased with the isolation that has come from the global pandemic. This accounts for 21.2% of non metro adults. In addition, nearly 1.6 million, or 4.8% of adults in non metropolitan areas, report having issues with thoughts of suicide during the year. What's interesting is is the prevalence of mental illness is similar between rural and urban residents, but the services are very different. So when people think about mental health, what do they think about? People picture all kinds of things in their mind. They can conjure up all kinds of images. Some people conjure up an image of a homeless person living on an urban city street, other people envision an out-of-control teenager in a large metropolitan school. Others, people locked in a hospital ward. And then some of the more or less extreme images or pictures might be people making poor choices or just someone else. Few Americans picture a farmer with a serious mental illness or a farmer that struggles with anxiety or depression or stress associated with the changing in rural economies. They do not picture someone driving nearly 150 miles or more to receive mental health services. They don't often, when thinking of mental health, picture traveling psychiatrists or psychologists, farm workers, or even rural America in general. And that's kind of what this podcast is aimed to do. Is to help people in these rural communities, isolated communities, not to feel alone, and to help educate on a variety of mental health topics that individuals in rural or isolated communities face. Here's some other facts for you from the Western Interstate Commission for Higher Education, uh, the kind of their mental health branch. More than 60% of rural Americans live in mental health professional shortage areas and in my area that is also true more than 90 percent of all psychologists and psychiatrists and 80 percent of therapists and social workers work exclusively in metropolitan areas more than 65 percent of rural americans get their mental health care from their primary care provider and in this case their medical provider the mental health crisis responder for most rural Americans is a law enforcement officer. So what that is saying is is that when you call 911 or somebody calls 911 because somebody is in need of a mental health intervention or what they call a crisis response, often it is from a police officer who has minimal training if any in mental health. Some of the issues that face rural residents and accessing mental health services, first off, just accessibility. Uh, rural residents often travel long distances to receive services and most likely will not have good coverage for those mental health services. There's also an issue of availability. There's chronic shortages of mental health professionals, especially in rural communities. And there's also acceptability. There's a stigma in rural communities about needing or receiving mental health care. And some of that comes not only from stigmas overall in our society, but some of that comes from people in the countryside or in rural communities, isolated communities, going to the few mental health professionals that are within some type of reasonable driving distance only to find that this trained professional is undertrained, not a good fit, or just not able to provide the type of... Therapy that the individual needs, which then helps to reinforce that stigma that this trained professional is like all other trained professionals in this area. So, with these things in mind, people might be wondering okay, well, like, how should it be? I'm used to these things. How should it be? Um, You know, in that article by the Western Interstate Commission of Higher Education, kind of plays out, you know, how it should be with comprehensive continuums of care quick and easy and convenient access to services, um, providers who are competent not only in the techniques of therapy, but also culturally competent. Uh, systems of providers that work together, share resources and focus on what works. And these are some of the important things that this article mentions. Um, but unfortunately, the way it usually is, especially in these isolated rural communities, Our people are not well-informed. they are not well-informed of what's available, what's out there. Uh, Providers are isolated. Um, Part of being a therapist and part of being a counselor is being able to consult with other therapists and counselors uh, when the therapist or counselor comes into something that they don't quite understand or they don't quite have the competency for. uh, So they can kind of figure out some different ways of looking at maybe a problem or something that needs to be dealt with, or if they are not competent and cannot become competent, uh, to assist that client to be able to refer them to another competent individual in the area. Another thing, the way it is, is that service access is confusing (laughs) and complex. This is especially so in rural communities when there's only so many providers within hundreds of miles of each other. And it also leads to services that are fragmented. They're not holistic. They cannot meet all the needs of the client. They may be able to meet one need, or they may be able to meet another need, but they cannot just provide a good overall service. Provider plans uh, what pays rather than what works. So what that means is is that providers gear their services to what can make them income. And there's nothing... In and of itself wrong with that. Um, it takes approximately three years after someone's bachelor's degree uh, to get the right degree in this field and then about two years of supervised training in order to get fully licensed and that's an expensive um, process. So it's not necessarily a bad thing or negative that providers get paid for the services they provide But what happens here is that providers, in order to get paid, have to specifically gear their services around things that pay versus what the client needs. And this can become quite an issue. Another thing that is kind of how things are in rural and isolated communities is individuals enter care later and sicker with a higher level of cost. So at this point, you might be wondering, okay, how did it get this way? And there are several reasons. Uh, Distance is is one of them. Stigma, discrimination, lack of good planning for rural areas. You can go to any major metropolitan area and they're gonna have a good strategic plan for mental health and mental health access. But it's just not the case in rural communities. There's a lack of sustained effort to prepare and deploy professionals into rural (laughs) practice. Uh, In my area in particular, one way that they try to get individuals into this area is to offer tuition forgiveness. And that sounds like a really good thing, and it is a really good thing. However, there's so many like things surrounding that that it becomes more of a hindrance than a good thing. Let me give you an example. So you move into this rural community in which I live. There's a couple of larger, multiple-county... Uh, mental health community-based agencies. These agencies, in order to get therapists, to get counselors, to get um, individuals into the area, will often offer this loan forgiveness. However, they also require a two-year contract in order to get these services. They require that the therapist be fully licensed. So a lot of folks who are looking feel that some of these hoops just are too much. Also, a lot of these agencies require non-compete contracts. So not only do you have to sign a non-compete saying for the next, let's say, two years, I'm not going to work for anybody else within five to seven counties nearby other than this agency. And if I decide that, my values and the values of this agency do not connect, then I'm not going to be able to work anywhere else within five to seven counties for two years after I leave that agency. So most individuals are just not going to do that, especially in this day and age. Another issue of how did they get this way is one size fits all planning and funding. And this is everywhere. This is not just mental health. This is not just education. This happens quite a bit. Um, It's kind of like, Trying to find a way to put everybody, all the eggs in one basket, even if some of the eggs are bigger or smaller, don't fit, or, you know, we're going to try to create a plan. We're going to try to create funding where one size fits all. And clearly, and especially with mental health, that's just not the case. Lastly, mental health care is optional. Um, And that's a good thing. You know, you don't want to be forced into any type of mental health care, but, um, it's optional in the sense that like a lot of insurances, HSAs, things like that, they just don't feel that or maybe maybe they do feel it, but it's not a priority. Mental health is not a priority. You know, People start having physical pain, they start having mobility issues. They start having anything go wrong with their physical body and almost immediately they're seeking to take care of it but with mental health people can go a very long time being very mentally sick and not see a need or maybe not even know that there is a need and do not seek treatment or help in that regard so the question is then what can we do and i'm a big like talker with my hands and it's probably not the best thing for podcasting because i'm literally here my hands are moving uh, I'm banging into things, so I apologize for any excess noise uh, that my hands make as I as I speak with them via uh, <laughs> a podcast. So the question is, what can we do? So there's lots of things. A podcast that educates people on mental health in rural communities is one of them. Uh, advocacy, public education, and just improving mental health integration and understanding the communities in which we live in is very very important and developing plans based on the knowledge and the needs of that particular community. This research goes on to um, provide programs that work and it's got several programs in here but there's one I want to focus on because it, I relate to it more and it's programs that work Alaska and the reason why this means a lot to me is because I've lived in Alaska actually twice and I've actually seen this in action. But it's kind of a partnership between the University of Alaska and the kind of the native health cooperatives who train and support village mental health aides. These village mental health aides often are located in more of an urban area. Now it's Alaska. So when I say urban area, there's really like one, two large metropolitan areas. And then there's lots of smaller cities, towns, uh, villages, things like that. But... Often there is an aide that lives in one of the larger urban areas or towns that then take um, remote planes or excuse me, they take planes to remote islands um, to provide those cares for a period of time. Then they come back and they are able to provide care and support for people with mental illness living in kind of these remote um, native villages in Alaska's interior, as well as some of their islands off the chain. And so it's kind of a, it's an excellent program. I've seen it work because um, a lot of times some of these villages, they don't even have roads. I lived on an island off the coast of Alaska and some of the villages there didn't have roads, but they could have people flown in via like prop planes and seaplanes. Um, in order to provide whatever is needed during the time that they could go. And then they would rotate out to um, go back to where they lived. And that way there was a constant connection of people getting the mental health services that they needed. So that's kind of a little bit of what I want to talk about. It's kind of a funny story, though, I want to share before the end of this podcast, is that when I was moving into this area, um, it was kind of the local buzz that a shrink <laughs> was moving into the area. You know, first off, I just want to talk a little bit about uh, what is the difference. And if you didn't know, shrink is is actually a slang term for a psychiatrist, a psychologist. Those that's usually used most with those two, but it can also be used for psychotherapist, which I myself am now. What is the difference, though? What is the difference? And I'm going to kind of leave the podcast with this so that folks can have an understanding of what I do versus like what a psychiatrist does or a psychologist. So oftentimes people use these interchangeably or they just don't understand. um, And that's okay um, because there's not a lot of training and knowledge in these role areas about who does what and why they're doing what they're doing. So all three of those folks have significantly different training Um, so for example, a psychiatrist is oftentimes a medical doctor, I should say not oftentimes all times, a medical doctor whose training and knowledge base is about, uh, the treatment or the diagnosis and the treatment of mental illness, um, often through the use of medication. Um, they would not be necessarily, and though there are exceptions, would not necessarily be doing the day-to-day therapy Uh, with a patient or client. A psychologist, on the other hand, is specifically looking at um, assessment, and they are often trained specifically in doing assessment. Again, um, in some areas they can also prescribe medication, and their focus is really diagnosing. Um, Again, there's exceptions to everything, and so sometimes there are psychologists who also provide mental health therapy. Um, Psychotherapists, counselors, therapists, um, their role is to develop the therapeutic relationship and to work on helping the client to address mental health goals for the long-term process of healing with that individual. Um, social workers tie into this as well. Clinical circle work, social workers can also provide therapy as well. Um, social workers niche, however, is they often look at their programs. They're seeking to help get people attached to programs. And I know that's a very simplistic way of putting it. And if you're a therapist or a social worker or a psychologist, or a psychiatrist, and you're listening to this and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Um, I'm just trying to give a generic uh, very broad kind of approach to the differences. So, for example, myself as a counselor or psychotherapist, I am not going to be prov- providing any type of uh, prescription or dealing at all with medication other than to kind of monitor how the client feels the medication is doing for them. And then, with the client's permission, connecting with their medical doctor or their psychiatrist to determine if there needs to be any changes. Um, Just like I would not necessarily be predominantly doing assessment, though I do have some training in assessment. And those are kind of some, like I said, the broad differences. Again, I just want to take the time to thank you for tuning in to the very first broadcast of Isolated, but not alone. And I hope you come back to hear more content